Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys here today. We are in a sermon series uh, called Looking for Life, and we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes. And so uh, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to chapter 7 today. Uh, is where we're going to find our text this morning. And uh, I'm actually going to move this over just a little bit, so I'm a little bit closer to the TV. Uh, How many moms in the room have ever told your son or your daughter, you better straighten up? Anybody, any moms in the room ever said that? Yeah, Um, I'll never forget, I I grew up going to church. My dad was the pastor, my mom sang in the choir. And so she would always be in the choir loft looking out at the congregation, right? And so as a kid, my dad's preaching, my mom's in the choir, so I'm sitting by myself a lot of the times. And uh, this particular day, I was in middle school and uh, me and my buddy, we were just cutting up and laughing during the whole you know, service. And so I didn't notice my mom's gaze looking upon me during the service. Uh, but while they were passing out the offering uh, plates, uh, she had handed one of the ushers a note. And uh, she asked him to bring the note to me. And so here I am, dad gets up and he's preaching and we're still cutting up. It's, it's the greatest Sunday uh, of the year, right? We're having a good time. And and uh, Paul, he was the usher. He's this big old 6'3", like country, country uh, guy. And he's just like really thick accent. He came up to me like he had seen a ghost. And he knelt down and he said, Trent, your mother is madder than a wet hen. <laughs> I had never seen a wet hen, so I didn't even know what that meant. But I could tell by the look on his face that my mom was extremely upset. She, he, he gave me the sheet of paper and I opened it up in all caps, mind you, all ne- you know, next gen uh, folks, you know what that means, right? You get the all caps text and all caps, my mom had written a note and it just simply said, straighten up. <laughs> and I looked up and our eyes locked and baby, she was giving me the stink eye. <laughs> So I did it, I straightened up. I did not wanna mess with that, you know? And uh, I laugh at that now, but you know, as parents, we're always watching our kids, you know, and looking at their behavior. And sometimes, you know, when it's off, when it's a little wacky, when it's not good, when it's not what it should be, our response to them is straighten up. Get your act together, stop acting out, and start acting the right way. And so we use this terminology all the time, straighten out. When things are messed up, we want it straight. Now, when it comes to things in our life, when bad things are happening, when you know, adversity hits our life, a lot of times we have the same mentality. If you think about it, we want things to get back in line. COVID has hit, it's messed up everything, it's a little wacky, and we want things to straighten out. No matter what you're facing in your life, our tendency in, in our human nature is when things are out of whack, when things aren't going well, we want things to straighten out in our life. And so let me start today by asking you a simple question. I need everybody to participate with me. And the question is this, what is the one area, the one thing in your life that if it could change, you would ask God to change it today? Just one area, there's probably a million, but I wanna encourage you to write this thing down. Now just write one word down in your notes that would just symbolize today the one thing. If you could have one 
answered prayer today from God, that this would be the thing that he would answer. Now, I'm noticing not a lot of people moving, and so this is part of 100% participation today. You gotta do this, or the sermon is just not gonna be as good. So even if you're not a note taker, get your phone out and write that word down, okay? And in fact, if the person next to you is not participating right now, you just look at them and you say, you better straighten up, buddy. You better straighten yourself up, because this is what Trent is asking us to do, right? So. We're gonna, we're gonna dive into Ecclesiastes 7 here. We're gonna come back to this word today so you can hide it from your neighbor if you don't want them to, to catch it or whatever. But write something down because God's gonna do something in your heart today. We're gonna start in verse 13. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look up here at the screen. Um, Pastor Solomon says, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And then the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Now let's begin to break this down uh, together today. He says, who has the power to straighten out what God has made crooked? Now, when you read that, you realize something, don't you? You realize that sometimes God makes our life crooked. And so that kind of flies in the face of who we believe God is. God's supposed to be the guy that straightens everything out and everything's supposed to be perfect. But Solomon is saying there are some things in our life, some adversity in our life, seasons in our life that God brings into our life for a reason, for a purpose. And it's challenging. It's difficult. Now, the word crooked doesn't mean morally evil or, or, or uh, evil in the sense that God tempts us to do evil. The Bible says that God cannot tempt you to do, to do evil. God cannot do anything uh, that is evil or wrong. And so he's not doing something evil to us, but he is going to allow certain crooked moments to happen in our life. And, and so that's really the question today, like why? You know, why does our body break down and, and why are we going to face these physical ailments and why are some relationships not going to go well? Why, why are we going to get the job sometime and not get the job other times? I think every single one of us um, will eventually, or you are right now, facing some kind of crook in your life. Now, not some thief, but a crook, something that God has put in as a, 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 a painful season, it's a, a, an opportunity to change the course of the direction in your life. And, and the question then is, what is God doing in this moment? And I think a lot of us struggle with it because, again, we think that God's supposed to fix everything and never, we're never supposed to face any adversity in life. But we ask that question, why is the world crooked? Why do I have to face suffering? Why do I have to face struggles in my life at all? Why is this one thing that you want God to fix, why is that even in your life? And you might jot this down. The crooked parts of our life are meant to straighten us out. You see, when you look at the adversity that you're facing and you realize that the crooked parts of our life are meant to straighten us out, then we can begin to realize that some of the things that God has allowed to happen in your life are there for a purpose and a reason. And it's to straighten your heart out, it's to straighten your worship out, it's to get your attention and your eyes back on Jesus. And so this crooked part is meant to lead you to faith in Jesus. It's, lead, uh, it's there to deepen your faith, it's there to strengthen your faith, to provide wisdom in your life. And I get it, most of us say, well, I don't need any more wisdom, God, I'm good. I don't, I, don't need to, I don't need any more of that, Lord. I, I don't need to deepen anything. I'm good right here. Just let me have smooth sailing and 
you know, let me die in my sleep, smooth sailing, the whole thing, that's all I need, but that's just simply not reality. That's not how life works. That's not how God works. You're gonna go through seasons of prosperity. He says in verse 14, circle that word, prosperity. In that moment, in that season, he says, be joyful. There are gonna be times in your life where everything is going great. You know, you're, you, you got the raise, things are wonderful. And in that moment, he says to praise God, be joyful in the Lord. And we have to recognize that in those moments of prosperity, the temptation for us is to be conceited. The temptation for us is to feel entitled. You know, all these good things happening and all of a sudden we start to get lazy about our faith and we stop thinking about God and, and then pride grows uh, in, in our life. And so God says in, in the word of God, it says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So every day can't be a day of prosperity. Every year can't be a day of prosperity because it most definitely would lead you to conceit and pride. So he says in verse 14 again, circle this word, he says some days are full of uh, adversity. Some days don't, don't go the way that you want them to go. And sometimes these seasons enter our life. And he says, in that moment, consider the work of God. And so when we're facing adversity and when we're facing suffering, the temptation at that point is to be in despair. It's to be depressed. And so we've got to resist that temptation. We've got to learn to trust God through even the crooked parts of our life. Instead of uh, allowing depression to sweep over us, allowing to have this, uh, uh, this despair that fills our minds that God doesn't care, nobody loves me, my life is pointless, those kinds of thoughts. He says, consider the work of God. Now that's important because we don't wanna just blame God. We don't just wanna ignore God. We wanna consider what God is doing. And that's what I wanna help you do today. Consider and think about the work that God is doing in your life today. Some seasons are good, some seasons are crooked, but we've gotta realize that God is doing something good even in the crooked parts of your life. So let's keep going here. When I think about these moments in my life, my mind immediately goes to the Apostle Paul. And if you know anything about him, he wrote a majority of the New Testament. And uh, when he is writing, he talks about a physical ailment that he had. We don't know what it was. Uh, a lot of people believe that it was some kind of um, eye disease because he, of some other things that he had written. But he was asking God to take away this, this issue, this, this physical ailment. And here's what he says in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited, prideful, right? Because of the surpassing greatness of the, revelation, of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in my flesh. In other words, I was doing some pretty cool things through God's grace, like God was doing some great things and, and uh, I was experiencing a lot of revelation and a lot of truth and a lot of cool things were happening. And because of this, a thorn, he says, was given to me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming, that word again, conceited or prideful. So every day can't be a day of prosperity because if that's the, if that's the reality, if you win every day, then you become conceited. You've gotta have a few losses in your life and, and that's how God keeps us from becoming uh, proud. Verse eight, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect when you are doing it all on your own. It's not what he says, is it? 
He says, my power is made perfect in your what? In your weakness. So when you're weak, he's saying, then you can experience my power. So when we're not experiencing any weaknesses in our life, I think that the, 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 what we can learn here is that it's harder to experience the power of God. And so that's why it's so important that we go through these seasons. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with the weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So even with the thorn in his flesh, he learned to be content. For when I am weak, he experiences the power of God. This is powerful for us today. My grace is sufficient. Some of you need to remember that today. God's grace is his undeserved, unearned favor and blessing in our life. And there's nothing you could do that could ever earn that. And Paul is saying, I want you to remove this thorn, please God. And God says, he doesn't say wait, I'll do it later. God doesn't say no. God says, my grace is sufficient. When you are weak, you'll experience my power. So we trust in him. Paul didn't let this thorn, this crooked part of his life to distract him or defeat him or to cause him to doubt God's love. It, it actually led to a deeper faith and, and, and it actually led to him being able to help you and me today. And, and that's huge. I, I think Solomon's point is that we don't know what's gonna happen in the future. Look at the latter part of verse 14 again. Man may not find out anything that will be after him. Essentially, you don't know the future. Paul didn't know the future. Paul didn't know if God was gonna heal him or not. We don't know if he ever got healed or not. Maybe he did. You don't know if God's gonna answer the one thing that you're asking God for today. You don't know if he will. You don't know if he doesn't. You know that he's able. God, I believe you're able. But even if he doesn't, I'm gonna worship you anyway. You say, how do we do this? How do we believe that God can do this? And how do, we, how do we trust in that? Well, there's a very simple truth here when you're talking about the future. I mean, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. So I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know who's in control of it. I know, I know it's his grace, it's his power, it's his strength that's gonna do the right thing for me every time, even if I don't really agree with him in the moment, I can trust that what he is doing is right and good. Most of us though, we wanna control everything. We wanna control our future, we wanna know the future. Uh, we, we like to plan it out, but God wants you to learn how to give up control and to rely on him in the good times and even in the bad times. So no matter where you're at in the day of prosperity or the day of adversity, he wants you to learn to trust in him and see that what you're going through can be a teacher. Let's keep going in verse 15. He says, in my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. So we know this to be true. You've experienced this. We live in an unfair world, right? We expect to see righteous people live long lives and we expect wicked people to get just punishment and taken out early. But that's not what happens often, 
right? Solomon says this is, this is what life kind of looks like for us. We often see that this unfair aspect that sometimes righteous people who love the Lord and live for God suffer when they're young and die when they're young. We know that someone who is, you know, cheating and manipulating the system and who is living a wicked life sometimes live, lives a long time. And Solomon says, we see this happening. And so, yes, it's an unfair world. So Solomon, help us unpack this a little bit further. And so he gives us an application here in verse 16. He says, but do not overly, be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this and from that, withhold not your hand for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Now, this is kind of a, a tricky verse here. You read that and you think, be not overly righteous. Well, does that mean be good, but not too good? Is that what he's saying? I want you to be righteous, but don't be too righteous. You know, we don't like those people. No, what he's saying is don't be self-righteous. Don't live a, a, a righteous life in the sense that you think you're more righteous than you actually are. Don't live self-righteously like this because he's warning us that living a righteous life doesn't mean that God is guaranteeing you a long life. He's also saying living righteously or, or actually living unrighteously means that you're gonna die young. So he's like, look, you, you, you don't know, there's no guarantee on this. So, so don't become self-righteous in the sense that you think this is gonna you know, please God. You can't do anything to earn his favor anyone, whether righteous or wicked, is going to face death, is going to face um, adversity at different seasons in their life. And so what he says to do in verse 18 is grab hold of this truth. And this, this truth is that we must fear God. So grab hold of this truth, fear God, love God through every situation, whether it's a prosperous time in your life and things are going well, don't forget about him in those moments. Or if things are difficult, don't allow anger to consume you. Don't just be angry at God. Instead, whatever you're going through, grab hold of God through every situation. Or rather, maybe a better way to say it is to allow God to grab hold of you. If you take hold of him, if you love him, you will succeed and you will get through whatever situation you're facing. He says, I'm gonna see you through. You're actually going to come out no matter which uh, opportunity or season you are facing. And so again, we see this idea of fearing God. We've seen this over the last couple of chapters and we're gonna continue to see this over the next uh, few weeks as we uh, get through the end of the book. He's telling us to fear God. This is that trembling trust. It's like recognizing the power and authority of God should put a fear, a trembling trust inside of us, right? We're trembling, but at the same time, we're trusting because he is a loving God. And so he tells us to serve and love and honor and fear this God. So the hardest part about these verses is, is being able to see the work of God when you're prosperous, to see the work of God when in fact you're going through a time or season of suffering. The good times in our life cause us to ignore God. The bad times in our life cause us to be angry with him. So we've got to choose to accept whatever crooked parts of our life are, that we're going through today as a necessary part 
of what it means to follow him today. That's hard for us to do because we just wanna fix it. We just wanna straighten it out. You know, acting out, straighten it out. Doesn't feel good, straighten it out. But God is the one that created this situation in your life. You can be mad at him for this, or you could recognize that he wants to teach you something. Instead of asking why, the wise question is what? What, God? How, God, do you want me to do? Or, and, 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 and how do you want me to grow through this? I love what Charles Bridges says. He says, only he that made it can mend it. <laughs> love that. Only the one that made the situation that created the world, that made your purpose, that made you. Only the God that made it can mend it. You can't, you can't straighten what God has made crooked. I know that makes us feel powerless. But when we recognize that and we do our part, which is to love, serve, and learn, we trust that God is gonna do his part. Yes, he is the way maker. Yes, he can do it. Yes, he can answer it. Yes, he can fulfill it. He can change whatever situation you bring into this place, but sometimes he chooses to wait. Sometimes he's gonna do it differently than what you hope. And in those moments, you've gotta to choose to fear him. And as Solomon shows us these crooked seasons of life, he's also gonna show us how it strengthens us in verse 19 and, and, and following. So let's go back to verse 19 here. He says, wisdom gives strength to the wise more than 10 rulers who are in a city. So wisdom here gives you strength. And so not just any kind of strength, like, like he says, 10 rulers. So it's not just 10 men, which would have been strength, but 10 rulers. So, so the, this is even power beyond just the normal average person. And so 10 times. And so, yeah, we wanna understand that wisdom makes you strong. And so when we go through these seasons, we're seeing that wisdom is actually going to make us stronger. Now you can make mistakes in your life, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to learn from it. You know, people often say, you know, experience makes you wise, but I mean, you know, you can be old and dumb just like you're young and dumb, right? Um, it all depends on how you respond to the mistakes that, that you've made in your life. And so, so don't just make mistakes. We got to learn from these mistakes. And as we do, we gain this wisdom and this wisdom makes you and I stronger. So when you're seeking the Lord first, when you're running after him, you're gonna face this adversity, you might face prosperity, but whatever you're facing, see it as a teacher. See it as a teacher. Now, you had some good teachers in your life and you've had some bad teachers in your life, haven't you? Uh, I remember my third grade teacher, she made me eat an avocado and I threw up in my mouth, it was terrible. Buddy next to me threw up right there on the floor. That was it for me. As soon as I heard that, saw that, boom, it was in my mouth. I was, it was a bad day. I don't know why anybody would make a third grader eat an avocado. It's child abuse. You'd probably go to jail if it happened today. <laughs> I had some good ones. I had some bad ones. But guess what? I don't get to choose my teachers oftentimes. You don't get to choose the teachers that God brings into your life. You might even... You might even see this word crooked, the, the, the crook in your life, not the thief, but the crooks in your life as your teachers in life. And you don't get to choose them all the time. And sometimes you're not ready for them. And sometimes the challenge is more than what you hoped for or expected. But we recognize that God brings these things into our life and we trust him 
with wisdom. It brings strength into your life when you see it as a teacher. Let's keep going in verse 21. He says, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. (laughs) Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. (laughs) What is he saying here? A lot of cursing happening. I think it's simple. Wisdom knows what to hear and what to ignore. Wisdom knows what to hear, what to ignore. Wisdom, if you see the suffering in your life as a teacher, you're gonna be wise and it's gonna bring strength. And secondly here, wisdom knows what to hear and what to ignore. And so when you learn that somebody's criticized you, oftentimes usually makes you mad. And a lot of times we react by being critical of, of that person, right? And then we're in this twisted kind of, you know, back and forth of hurting each other with our words. And what God is saying here is let it go. Let it go when you hear your servant cursing you, when you hear somebody is criticizing you. Life uh, gets crooked when you listen to the wrong people. And perhaps some of the things that you wrote down, that one word that some of you wrote, perhaps could be solved if you stop listening to the wrong person in your life. He says people are gonna be um, criticizing you it's from time to time. It happens to every single one of us. How, why do we know that happens to, uh, or going to happen to us? Well, because we criticize other people. And that's his point here, I think. He's like, you, you, you hear people criticize you, but don't worry about it because you do a lot of criticizing yourself. And so don't become so self-righteous when you hear somebody bad mouthing you. You know, we get all self-righteous and how can they talk about me? And at the same time, we're talking about other people. He says, look, it works both ways. I love what Blaise Pascal uh, wrote once. He said, if all men knew what each said of the other, there would not be four friends in the world. (laughs) There's a lot of truth to that. We say things that we would never say to somebody's face. You say things out of anger and out of frustration that you would never want somebody to hear. They're not meant for other people to hear. Now, obviously, there's one sermon that would say, stop doing that. But I think his point here is that, look, this happens. And so you've gotta be wise. You've gotta, you gotta know what to hear and know what to ignore. I think a lot of times, you know, we, we uh, allow anger and frustration to enter our heart and we fail to recognize what is in our own hearts, right? And so my dad always used to say, hurt people, hurt people. So that always stuck with me. And anytime we're criticizing, sometimes that comes out of a, a brokenness in our own life. And so when I'm criticizing someone, when I'm, when I'm hard, uh, I, I wanna pray and ask God, God, help me to, to know what, what's off in my own heart, right? We don't wanna hold people to a standard of judgment that we ourselves don't even live up to. And so the wise a person then would recognize their own sinful words and our own sinful words should remind us not to take what other people say to heart. So you gotta know what to hear and what to ignore. Uh, I love the story of the old wise man. A, a younger man came up to the old wise man and he said, did you know that so-and-so was criticizing you? And the old wise man said, yeah, I heard. He said, but I'm not insulted. In fact, he was talking about another person The man he insulted was the man he thought I was. And I love that. Because oftentimes the criticism that you're gonna face is criticism of of, of what somebody thinks about you. They don't even know you. Especially if you're on social media. 
People are going to say things about you because they have an idea of who you are and just like they don't even know you. And so why let it bother you? Some of you are so bothered by something somebody said 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. You'll be having a great day and all of a sudden that thought pops into your mind and you're like, on that person, I just want to, you know, you get all upset, your blood pressure rises again, you're popping pills to calm down, right? Why do we let that happen? Solomon says, be wise, know what to hear and know what to ignore, right? And then in verse 26, he says, and I find something more bitter than death. Buckle up. What could be more bitter than death, right? That's a pretty strong comparison right out of the gate here. He says, I found something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. So if you're taking notes, wisdom escapes the trap of sexual sin. Wisdom escapes the trap of sexual sin. Maybe the one thing you wanted to change uh, that you wrote down, maybe it was, I want to get married, or maybe it was, I want, you know, a different spouse, (laughs) or fix my current spouse, right? And so the, the, the reality here is what Solomon is saying is he's comparing this woman who would lead you into sexual sin. Uh, ladies, it would be the, the man who would tempt you into sexual sin, a boyfriend or what have you. And Solomon says it's like a snare, a trap that you would use to actually catch a bird. Someone somewhere along Solomon's life, most likely he was hurt by a woman and he experienced this and it, uh, she tried to ruin him. And so uh, the advice and the warning goes out to us today. Men, maybe it's the woman that you work with that is enticing you, making you think the grass is greener on the other side. If I could just have a woman like her, then I would have a good marriage and then I would be happy. Maybe it's not even the woman that is in person. Maybe it's the woman that you look at on your screen. Pornography is one of the most devastating terrible habits that our country and specifically men in our country are experiencing. And you know what's funny? It's not funny, it's the sickening. Sickening that none of our politicians ever talk about it as a negative thing. In fact, it's protected and we we have rights to, to have child pornography and all of these images all over social media. It doesn't matter what app it is and it's all over the place and nobody seems to care about it. Solomon says, if you fall for that sexual sin, It's more bitter than death. So guys, it might just be an image. It might feel good. You might like it. But Solomon would say it's leading to you. It's leading you into a a, a death that you're not going to be able to come back from because once you see an image, you can't get it out of your mind. The damage is done. You multiply that over hundreds or thousands of times over the course of your life. Single guys, you want to find a godly woman God's like, whoa, I would, not, I would not put my sweet daughter in a relationship with somebody that looks at that and desires that and gets off on that. I mean, you want a godly wife? Let's get things straight here. Ladies, it's a, it's a man that, oh man, he's such a strong man and not a deadbeat like my guy. If I could just have some fun there, then things would be great. It's more bitter than death. God's word says to find joy in the wife of your youth. 
and the husband of your youth. That was the covenant, that was the decision you made. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you to the cross today. Confess that sin. May God speak to our heart today. It is ruining your ability, guys, to have true intimacy with your wife. It's ruining your relationship and and there's nothing even like tangible that you can put your, your finger on. Slowly the marriage is getting worse and you like to blame X's and O's, but really it comes right down to what you're allowing into your own heart. It's the snare, it's the trap. It's more better than death. It's ruining your relationship with your kids. Again, you don't see it. It happens so subtly. Nuances, things that you say, things that you do is passing on, even maybe even subconsciously to our kids. I don't even know how it works. All I know is it's devastating. And one day we're discovered. And in that day we're humiliated. And sure, you might be sorry then, but you don't wanna just be sorry that you got caught. You You want godly repentance, godly sorrow that leads to repentance. We want the crooked things in our life to get straightened out. But how much of the crooked parts of our life are a result of our own sinfulness? Go back to verse 20. I I saved it for the end here. Verse 20 says, there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Sounds very familiar what we read in the New Testament. There's no one righteous, no, not one. See, every single one of us was born with a sin nature. That sin nature causes death in every area of our life. And it has broken our relationship with God. It means that we cannot have eternal life in heaven. It means that we'll never have purpose. We'll never find fulfillment. And we'll be chasing after the wind as Solomon has been reminding us through this book. And it's not until we realize who Jesus is and what he's done. And if you've ever gone through something and said, this is the most unjust thing that that could ever happen. And you would say, Trent, what I've experienced or what I have heard about or know about, it is the most unjust thing. It's terrible. Why why does God allow something so bad to happen? And anytime that comes to your mind, remind yourself of the cross. Because the cross was the most unjust event in the history of the world. Jesus did nothing wrong. The perfect, sinless lamb of God And he was beaten, he was humiliated, and he was brutally murdered on the cross. This is the the most unjust event in human history, and yet God had purpose. See, it was a teacher. It's a teacher to all of us. But even more than that, it provides a way for you and I to have salvation. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we were rebellious, sinful, hated God, didn't want anything to do with God, Jesus lovingly died on the cross for our sins. He he paid the payment, the debt that you and I owed God because of our sin. And so when the scripture says, you know, if you want to give your life to Christ, this is an event, this is a moment that happens. You're not just born a, a child of God. You're not just born a Christian. Just because your parents are Christians doesn't mean you are. Just because you come to church doesn't mean you are. There's a moment in your life where you say, God, I confess that I am a sinner and I'm choosing to give my life to you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Some of you need to do that today. 
Some of you need to take that step and confess with your mouth. See, the reality is one day Jesus is gonna return. And when Jesus returns, he's gonna straighten out this crooked world. He's gonna straighten out every crook that you and I have experienced. He's gonna restore all things, a new kingdom, a new heaven. People that have passed away before us will be reunited with them in perfection, in paradise, worshiping and serving him. Yes, working. It's not just like we're gonna be floating in the clouds playing a harp. No, we're gonna be working the, the, the earth. It's gonna be a glorious paradise. But you have to make this decision while you're alive. You don't get a second chance. We'll close with this. Everybody go back to your word. That's why we had to go back to our word, right? Here's our word. What if, what if that one thing you wish for could change? And if God were to do that, would things change if I looked at adversity as a teacher? If I looked at suffering as a teacher, would things begin to change in your life? See, we're always asking God, God, make a brain, God, Show me in the clouds what you want me to do. Write it on the wall. God, do something. And we expect this, you know, burning bush. But maybe it's as simple as this, that the one thing you wrote down today could be changed if, 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 if in fact you looked at it as a teacher. Now all of a sudden your heart and your mind, boom, shifts. Would things change if I stopped listening to the wrong person? <laughs> Some of you wrote something down and, and like, it could be fixed today. God could change it today if you just stop listening to certain people in your life who are speaking negative or evil or sinful criticism into your life. Would things change if I escape the trap of sexual sin? God change my marriage. God's like, well, stop looking at porn. How about step one? You can't even look at your wife in, in an appropriate way because of what you're doing to your eyes throughout the week. And finally, would things change if I confessed my need for Jesus and surrendered my life to him? Some of you have never done that. You've never, you've never gone to or, or, or come to a point in your life where you've confessed your need for Jesus You've blamed him, you've been angry with him, you've not believed in him. For whatever reasons, I wonder if today might be that day where you finally say yes to Jesus. Let me ask you to bow your heads. Some in the room today need to make that decision. You didn't come to church today expecting this moment, but here you are. If you've never given your life to Christ, simply make this prayer your prayer to him. Just say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. Just tell him right now. Tell him, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That he rose from the grave. Forgive me of my sin and come into my life today. I give you everything. believe if that was your prayer today, if this is a commitment that you are making to God, God has just saved you. 
Others of you in the room, maybe it's a confession to God that, God, I'm gonna look at this situation as a teacher. I'm gonna look at this situation as a teacher and I'll wait for you to work. I'm gonna be patient. I'm gonna do my part. Let you do your part. For some of you, it's saying, God, I'm gonna stop listening to that guy at work. I'm gonna stop listening to her. I'm not gonna allow that criticism to hurt me. I, it's, God, I wanna believe and trust in what you, who you say I am. <laughs> I'm a child of God. I have a purpose. You have a plan for me. I am loved. I'm gonna walk in that truth. Some of you need to say, I'm, I'm, I'm putting aside, confessing it, and walking away from sexual sin. I'm walking away from it. You're gonna need, most likely, a friend to help you through this. A trusted friend, hold you accountable. Maybe a small group member. Friend, knowing that, man, the way that God wants you to walk is so much more pleasure and joy. Father, all over the room, people making decisions, we're feeling conviction. We all need to grow, God, and we all have various things in our life that we know you're addressing. And so, Father, in this moment, we're just asking that you speak to us, that you change us. For those that just prayed that prayer, may you just bless them and encourage them today. I pray they would let us know Stop by the care and prayer room, scan that QR code so that we can encourage them, get them baptized. Those who are experiencing challenges, God, speak to us. We know that you're doing something big in our life. And so we're trusting in that today. And we're praying and knowing and believing that you are for us and with us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.